Well, good morning, Calvary Satterton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Mother's Day morning. You should have received the top five card when you came in. If you would take that out, I want to highlight just a couple of those announcements, uh, just for your reference, and to let you know of a couple of needs that we have as a community. First of all, we've agreed that we're going to package and ship 50,000 meals as we rise against hunger, and that date is June 24th. We're going to do that in both locations. So we're going to do that here at Southern, and we're also going to do that at Calvary Quakertown. You can sign up for either location. We already are almost full at Southerton. We still need about 150 people at Quakertown. And let me just say, that would be a great opportunity for some of you Southerton attenders to get to see the Quakertown campus. And so you can sign up just when you go on to the website and sign up. Make sure you list that you're going to go to Quakertown to do that. If you're unsure how to sign up online, you can stop at the hub or Next Steps and they'll be able to walk you through that process. Also, you'll notice on there that KidFest is quickly approaching. July 11 through 13, KidFest will be here. We'll have 1,500 kids or so that we will be hopefully... Um, explaining the gospel in a relevant way to them and helping them experience the grace and truth that the gospel provides for us as well. We need lots of volunteers for KidFest. So if you can free yourself up for all of those three days or some of those three days, that would be a big help because we need to be good hosts. In order to be good hosts, we need lots of volunteers to do that. And you may be thinking, well, I don't really like kids. I don't like working with kids. There are a lot of other things you can do besides actually be hands-on. We don't want some of you near the kids, actually. But there are a lot of things you can do. So again, you can either go online and sign up, stop at the hub or next step space, and they'll help you do that. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Continuing What Jesus Started. And we're doing that by walking through the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. Do you ever get distracted? Do you? Uh, You can't lie to me. I see you for 35 minutes uh, each week. And let me just tell you, some of you are really rude in your distractions. Some of you open your mouths and yawn right in my face as we're talking, stretch, you know, just kind of. The worst is when you look at your watch and then some people do this, like it's not moving fast enough or something. And so every once in a while, I begin to wonder, you know, Are people tracking, you know, do they kind of hear what's going on? Are they processing what the Bible's saying, kind of how we're putting it together? But all of that was cleared up for me yesterday morning when I received this text. It real text, on my phone. Here's what it says. After last week's sermon, you should have the guts to give us the gift of grace. How about a shorter sermon tomorrow? I wasn't sure what to, think when I, what to think when I got that text. Um, should I be really happy that they listened? Because remember, it was gifts and guts and grace. And just for that, you're getting an hour and a half sermon now. There, nobody else is coming in the room all afternoon, just you and me. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So you can grab your phone or your iPad or some kind of tablet, grab the Bible out of the seat rack, grab a Bible off of your lap or out of your purse. And I'm going to read the first 13 verses 
of 2 Timothy 2, and then we'll pick up a few other verses toward the end of the message. So follow along as I read 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, there's a lot in there, and there's no way we're going to work with all of it. But we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the priorities, and by now you should know what those priorities are. We're going to look at the pictures that are presented. Then we're going to look at the area of practice that, Paul's mentioned, that Paul mentions there. Priorities, pictures, and practice. First of all, the priorities. Now, the priorities came or come in the first two verses there. And you're probably, or some of you, sick and tired of me talking about the priorities, but Paul keeps talking about them, so I need to keep talking about them. Here's the first priority as he gives it to us in verse 1. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when you first read that, it doesn't seem to make sense. Be strong, but don't be strong in your knowledge, don't be strong in your training. Don't be strong in your expertise. Don't be strong in your experience, in your wisdom, in your self-discipline, in your self-control. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is getting something we don't deserve and didn't earn. We're to be strong, recognizing our weakness, admitting our faults, and allowing Jesus to make up for all that we lack. That's where our real strength is found. And if you remember some of what we've been saying thus far, Timothy was not your typical leader. Timothy wasn't the guy that stood head and shoulders above the class when it came to leadership. Timothy was timid. Timothy was weak. Timothy didn't want to stand out. Timothy had no courage. Timothy was always in the background. Timothy was in touch with his weakness. But there's a sense in which... That's the main qualification for those that are going to be leaders in continuing what Jesus started. Because our strength is not in our skills or in our wisdom or education. Our strength is in the grace that comes. And you experience that grace when you admit your flaws and admit your weakness. And then God's grace comes flooding and filling all of, the, all of that weakness and making up for all of your lacks. 
So Timothy has the right requirement. In fact, if you were to read through the scripture, you would discover that that's often the main quality that God's looking for. God often chooses the least likely to succeed. He chooses Abraham, he chooses Moses, he chooses Gideon, he chooses somebody like Peter, he chooses Matthew. God chooses the least likely to succeed. Timothy certainly fit in that category. And if you ever think poorly of yourself, you're exactly the kind of person that God's ready to use. As you're in touch with your flaws, in touch with your weakness, Paul would say to us, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the first priority. The second priority comes in verse 2, and that's our theme verse for this whole series. Here's our relay race, right? And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. They're the four legs of the race. Paul runs and hands the baton to Timothy. Timothy takes the baton and Paul says, Now, Timothy, run well and pass the baton to those reliable people that will come after you. And tell the reliable people that they need to run well and pass the baton to others also. They are the four legs of the relay race. And those are the two priorities that repeatedly come up in this letter. Run well and pass the baton. I was flipping through the station yesterday at home because there was nothing to do. It was raining. And I came across a track event on TV. I never realized how boring a track event is. I mean, it's worse than soccer. I couldn't believe it. Until the relay race came on. And it was almost as if when the relay runners were lining up, people in the stand seemed to move to the edge of their seat. And I was actually interested then. Well, that's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, this is a relay race. There are lots of complications. There are lots of ways to be disqualified. There are lots of ways to drop the baton and lose the race. Timothy, here are the priorities. Run well and pass the baton. If you only run well and fail to pass the baton, you lose. If you pass the baton but don't run well, you lose. Those are the priorities that we need to live as we follow Jesus. We run well the life that Jesus calls us to and we must not fail to pass the baton to those who come after us. Well, they're the priorities. And you've been hearing them for a number of weeks now. Keep them in your head or I'll just keep saying them, all right? Run well, pass the baton. But then Paul shifts to some pictures. And uh, these pictures should not be completely foreign to you because we actually looked at these pictures back in September. I'm not going to repeat what I said then. Uh, that was a whole message on them. But I am going to mention the pictures because we're kind of working our way through the letter and the pictures come up. There are three pictures and Paul carefully chooses three occupations. Three occupations that illustrate something about running well and passing the baton. So remember the priorities, run well past the baton. And then Paul says, let me paint a picture. In fact, let me paint three pictures for you of what running well and past the baton look like. The first one, that of a soldier. Look, look, at, look at verses 3 and 4. Join with me, Paul says, in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Each of the pictures is going to have at least one characteristic, and then each of the pictures will present a consequence of living out the characteristic. Each of the pictures has a regimen. The regimen 
produces results. So you do something in the process and something else comes as a result. There's a regimen and a result. There's a process and a conclusion. Well, what's the process, what's the regimen for a soldier? Well, I, I've never served in the military, but I know some of you have. If you served in the military or are presently serving, raise your hand. Very good, we have a number of you folks. Thank you, all. thank you. As I was thinking about this message this week, I thought, you know what, since I don't know that much about soldiering, we should just bring the, you know, the military person up and let them talk. Uh, we decided against that after about 10 seconds of thinking about that. Um, but even though I never served in the military, I have seen lots of military movies and I played Army as a kid. So I feel well qualified to talk about military service. <laughs> the one thing I do know is the thing that Paul mentioned. Soldiers experience pain and suffering. Isn't that right? I mean, nobody signs up for the military for fun and giggles, right? I mean, you sign up and there's an arduous duty that comes with that, and it's painful. It begins when you show up for boot camp, right? I mean, and all of a sudden, your time is not your own. Your life is not your own. You don't make decisions when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, what you're going to do, who you're having lunch with. You don't make decisions about anything. And the pain only increases when the physical training begins, and then the intellectual training begins. And then if you do get deployed to go to some war zone, I mean, the pain and suffering is ratcheted up exponentially. Lots of pain and suffering in being a soldier. And maybe the most painful part of the suffering that military personnel experience is the loss of freedom. Isn't it ironic that soldiers protect our freedom by giving up their freedom. Isn't that right? So by giving up their freedom, they go into the military and then protect our freedom. And they do what the commanding officer says rather than what they want to do. They don't set the agenda. They don't set the priorities. In fact, nothing in their life is their own anymore. In fact, Paul even says, a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. They're focused. They're dedicated. Everything working together toward that one destination. And the commanding officer calls all the shots. And here's an interesting twist. What's the result of following the military regimen well? Not the victory. Not winning the war. That may happen, but that's not what Paul says. The, their characteristic is suffering and pain. The result is you please your commanding officer. Did you see that? And so the regimen, doing what the commanding officer says, and there's pain and suffering in that, the result is you please your commanding officer. Well, that's the first occupation, the first picture. The soldier. The soldier gives up his freedom, gives up her freedom to bring freedom to others. There's pain and suffering in that process. And through the process, they please their commanding officer. That's the first picture. Second picture is a little different than that. It begins in verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So there's the characteristic again. Competition according to the rules. Now I do have to tell you there's a raging debate in scholarly circles as to what according to the rules actually means. Scholars debate 
nonsensical things. Right? So here's another one. Here's the big debate. Some say the rules that they're referring to are the rules of competition. For example, you've got to lock your elbows in the clean and jerk. That's the rules. You can't run outside of your lane in the race. That's one of the rules. Don't beat your opponent with your stick. That's part of the hockey rule, right? No punching below the belt. That's for husbands and wives, right? Um, all these rules, and so some people say, oh, the rules are the rules of competition. The rules are making sure you understand the rules of the game and you live within them. Every competition, every athletic event has certain rules, and if you're going to win the prize, you have to keep the rules, otherwise you get disqualified. That makes perfect sense, right? In fact, um, only in golf do people monitor and call the infractions themselves. Like, I'm talking about the tour guys. All of us that play with our friends, we get away with whatever we can, right? But on tour, they call infractions on themselves. It's kind of an amazing thing, right? Um, so one, set, one side of the debate says, the rules are the rules of competition. The other side of the debate says, no, 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 no. It's not the rules of competition. It's the rules of preparation and practice. Back in Paul's day, the games that he was referring to probably were the Olympic Games. And in the Olympic Games, there was a certain regimen. There were rules of preparation and practice. You had to give up like a year of your time to go into training to prepare for the Olympics. And when you showed up for the event, you had a sign that you had kept the practice and preparation rules. I found it really interesting that this past week, thinking about the rules of preparation and practice, this past week was the 15th anniversary of Al Allen Iverson's tirade on practice. Remember that? But we're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Practice. Yeah, well, that's what the one side of the debate's saying. Yeah, practice is pretty important. If you don't practice well and prepare well, you're not going to win the prize. So is it the rules before the game? Is the It really doesn't matter that much, does it? There are rules beforehand that get you prepared, and there are rules of the game. And if you break either set of rules, you're not going to win the prize. The regimen before, the regimen during, but it produces the result. If you apply the regimen, if you live out the playbook, the rule book well, you can win the trophy, win the prize. Yes, one day, the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi, will be in Philadelphia. I'll be dead by then probably, but, it, but it's going to be coming, right? If you keep the rules and live according to them and live that out, you can win the prize. So we've got regimen and result again. But then we've got one other picture. We've got a farmer. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I've seen a lot of military movies and played army as a kid, so I know about soldiering. Uh, I know a little bit about being an athlete. Not that I was a good athlete. I was a scrub athlete, but I know a little bit about I know nothing about farming. So let's just move on. <laughs> I've driven by farms, I look at farms, I see animals on farms, I don't like farms. Uh, but, you know, there are farms out here, they're disappearing quickly, but, but that's the third example that Paul gives. What's the characteristic that Paul highlights when he's talking about a farmer? Hard work. You know, this time of year especially, my guess is farmers are working hard, right? They don't get up at six and kind of work till five. They get up as soon as it's light enough to see, and they go to bed after it's dark, and they eat whenever they can. 
Farmers don't take vacations like the rest of us. Farmers have hard work and long hours. They've got to work really, really hard. And if they got animals that they're raising, that work never, ever ends. Some of you may have lived on a farm. Some of you may have farms. You know farmers. That's a hard-working occupation, right? So the regimen is hard work. The characteristic that's mentioned is diligent labor. What's the result? A harvest. And what does it say? The hard-working farmer gets the first fruits, the first vegetables, the first of the harvest. I've never had fruit, vegetables, any of that right off a farm. I get that stuff right out of aisle one. People tell me that it's better right off the stalk and all. They also tell me homemade cookies and cakes are better than the bakery. That's a lie too, all right? But anyway, for the sake of the illustration, Hardworking farmers get a harvest. See how that works? So each of the occupations, there's a characteristic and a result. For the soldier, it's pain and suffering. Brings, pleasing the commanding officer. For the athlete, keeping the rules before and after. And that leads to winning the prize. For the farmer, it's hard work goes in and a harvest comes out. There are the three occupations, the three pictures. Remember, the three pictures of what the priorities are like, running well and passing the baton. Verse 12 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I say that because I'm a teacher, and I love this verse. Look look at this. Paul says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight into all this. In other words, don't ask me any questions. Go home and figure it out. You and God. I'm done it. Don't send me any emails. Don't call me on the phone. Don't come up after the service. Ask God to show you. He'll show you. I'm done. I gave you the three occupations of priorities. I'm done. I love that. But Paul trusts Timothy more than I trust you. So I'm going to get you started on the reflection process, okay? What do you think Paul wanted Timothy to reflect and ruminate on in the three pictures. Well, I don't know all the details, but let's think about the similarities, the differences, the paradigm that maybe comes up. And if you spend a little bit of time with that, here's what you realize. There's kind of a paradigm behind each of the pictures. They follow the same exact pattern. It works something like this. You should know it by now. I kept saying it already. There's a regimen that leads to a result. There's a regimen that produces certain consequences. If you follow the regimen, sure as shooting, you will get the result. If you are an obedient soldier that's willing to endure and endures pain and suffering because of the commanding officer's orders, you will please the commanding officer. If you're an athlete that prepares and practices well and and competes according to the rules, you can win the prize. And if you're a farmer that obeys, you know, kind of lives out the paradigm, lives out the the regimen of planting and harvesting and fertilizing and tilling and doing all that stuff, you will reap a harvest. There's a regimen that produces a result. Each of the three have the same exact pattern. But there's one thing about each of the three pictures that's not as explicit. And I have the sneaking suspicion, because I've read the other stuff Paul wrote, that I think when he says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, you know, spend time processing this, 
I'm thinking he wants Timothy to actually get to the least, ex, the least explicit part of the paradigm. Let me say it like this. Behind every regimen is an authority. And the authority doesn't get mentioned clearly in the pictures, does it? But it makes perfect sense. What pleases the commanding officer? Not just pain and suffering, but pain and suffering as you live in compliance to the orders of the commanding officer, right? See how that works? Behind the regimen is the authority. And so even though the commanding officer doesn't get mentioned till the end, the result pleasing the commanding officer, if the commanding officer didn't tell you what he wanted up front, you wouldn't know what the regimen is. And if you didn't follow the regimen, you couldn't please the commanding officer. The authority precedes the regimen. The authority gives the regimen. But if you practice the regimen because you've adopted the authority, you can please the commanding officer. How about when it comes to the athlete? There are the rules. There's the playbook behind the practice and behind the competition. You've got to know the rules that are prescribed in the book before you know what to do to prepare and how to live and play the game. There's an authority before the regimen of the competition that produces the result of winning the prize. There's also an authority behind the farmer, the authority of years and years and years of history and experience of how farming works, how the seasons work, and you plant and you plow and you put this stuff in and you weed and you fertilize and you do it at this time of year and you harvest at that time of year and this crop grows better than that crop. Out of experience, there's kind of a farming authority that precedes the regimen. The farmer then adopts the pattern, lives out the regimen, and produces the harvest. So there isn't two things in each of the picture pictures there's actually three there's an authority there's a regimen and there's a result and here's the interesting thing you can't break that paradigm that paradigm always works if you practice the regimen it will always 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 produce the result let's talk about farming if you plant corn seeds you do not harvest apples in six months. If you plant tomatoes, the bugs eat them. But, but, but if you plant, right, whatever you plant, you're going to kind of harvest. Well, there's a regimen that always produces the result. But don't misunderstand. Behind the regimen is an authority. And I think Paul's saying to Timothy, therefore, choose your authority carefully. Choose your authority carefully. There are lots and lots of commanding officers in our world beckoning you and me to listen to them and follow the regimen that they're prescribing. Isn't that right? There are lots and lots of rules, both of preparation and of competition, lots of rule books, lots of playbooks that voices are clamoring for us to get in step with and practice. And there are lots and lots of experiences and lots and lots of history where people say, you should do it this way rather than that way. Choose your authority carefully because your authority will always give you a regimen and the practice of the regimen will always produce a result. So let's uh, play with that a minute. Suppose you adopt as your authority your job or your career. You're going to put all your energy all your focus, 
you know, you are going to be diligent about wrapping your whole life around the authority of your job. You're going to be there before you have to. You're going to stay long after you're required to. You're going to put your time in. In fact, you're going to put so much in, you have very little or nothing else to give anybody else. Notice, if you make your job or your career the authority, there's a regimen that comes from that, right? You get on the treadmill, you adopt, you got to work and jump through all the hoops that your job's giving you, your career's giving you, and it produces a result. You'll get promotions. You'll get raises. You'll have big fancy titles after your name. You'll get all of that. But also produce probably a pretty miserable marriage, a family that's on the rocks, no relationships. You won't be living in community. You'll be living all by yourself. You'll be kind of running with the job as the authority. The authority is setting the regimen. The regimen is producing a result, and it'll always produce that. Suppose you say, well, I'm not going to choose my job. I'm not that stupid. I'm going to choose money. That's better than job, right? Well, if you choose money as your authority, notice a regimen immediately is put to the fore. If you're going to you treat money as your authority, then everything's going to be about how you can get more, how you can keep what you have, how you can grow that nest egg. And you're going to be growing, growing, growing. You're going to be in that acceleration path. And what are the results going to be? You'll probably accumulate a whole lot of money. And you'll trash relationships. And you'll backstab people and step over them. Oh, yeah, and you won't be speaking the truth in love to people. It'll always be about you and what you need and what you want. Notice when you adopt an authority, every authority will give you a regimen. But if you've adopted the authority, you have to live out the regimen of the authority you've adopted because you've adopted that thing or that person as your authority. So you choose an authority, the regimen comes with the authority, and the results have to come. So if you choose an authority, the authority will give you a regimen. You practice the regimen, you will reap the results. has to happen. You can't break the paradigm. So what Paul says to Timothy is, uh, so choose your authority carefully, Timothy. Choose your commanding officer with great care. Choose the playbook you will live by with great care and concern. And choose the experience and the history that you will live into very carefully. Because once you adopt an authority, you will then live out the regimen, and the regimen will produce a certain result. Choose carefully. Well, that's worth reflecting on, isn't it? That's worth thinking about. And my guess is, you know what commanding officers you're tempted to listen to, even as I'm speaking. You know what voices are clamoring for you to live out the regimen and live out the playbook. And you know the results that can come and that will come from that. And we're all experiencing some of the results from some of the regimens we've been practicing. And it all comes from an authority. It has to happen that way. Choose your authority carefully, Paul would say. Boy, that's worth reflecting on and ruminating about, isn't it? Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight into all this. Now, here's a, an interesting thing, at least interesting to me. You would think after these uh, high-profile occupations, soldiers, athletes, farmers, I mean, we're talking tough bold, um, kind of in-your-face, bigger-than-life figures. What, do you th what example do you think Paul would now give that we're to practice the pictures in? 
probably something big and probably something, you know, you're expecting Paul to say, so now, go bring back the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West. Go get it. Take your sword and go slay the dragon. Stand against those monstrous evils. Go get them. He doesn't say any of that. Look at what he does say, beginning of verse 14. Here's where we should practice it. Not that we don't practice it elsewhere, but here's the one he mentions. Keep reminding God's people these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Isn't that interesting? He gives us these big pictures, and then he says, oh yeah, and here's one area to practice it. Watch your mouth. I I kept thinking when I'm reading this verse. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Welcome to Facebook. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Right? I mean, we live in a world where it's not just words spoken, it's words written. It's tweets that are shared. It's Instagram posts that go. We live in a world where we not only have to speak it, we can write it. And, and something you'd never say to someone's face, you're tired and you shouldn't. You flip open your laptop as you're lying in bed. Close your laptop. When you're tired, don't whip, open, well, don't whip out your laptop and send messages. Don't post anything late. It's not a good thing. When he talks about practice, he says, watch how you speak. Be careful what you write because your words can build up and tear down. Your words can be like disease, like gangrene that spreads and brings death to people and communities. Or your words can bring life as you speak words of grace. The example he lists, not that the other examples aren't important, But the example he lists right after the pictures, priorities, pictures. Now practice this in how you speak to one another and what you write to one another. So I put together a couple of little rules for us, right? Rules of engagement. Here are a couple of playbooks. If we adopt Jesus as our commanding officer, if we adopt Jesus and his rule book, right, the playbook of the scripture, here are a few rules that come from, here's the regimen that Jesus would give. And here's one. Respect each other. Don't only respect the people that agree with you. Respect people because all human beings are made in the image of God. Don't respect them just because they're the same political party as you. Don't respect them because they look at sexuality exactly the same as you. Don't respect them because they believe the church should be done the way you think it should be done. Respect human beings because they're made in the image of God. Every human being made in the image of God deserves to be respected. Not because of who they are and what they've done, but because they're made in the image of God and we should be submissive and honoring to God who made them. Respect everybody. That's what we should do. How are you doing on that one? Are you respectful in what you write on your post and how you respond in the email? When you meet someone and when you say, how about when the person's not present and you're speaking about them? Are you respectful then? Now we better move to the next one. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Boy, that runs through the whole Bible, doesn't it? How do we often function? Quick to speak. Slow to listen. Uh, Here's a little challenge for you, since you don't have anything else to do this week. Uh, Pick a gospel and just read through it. 
And you'll, you, hopefully you'll be amazed at how often Jesus asks questions. Now here's why that's so funny. Jesus is omniscient. That means he knows everything. What in the world is he doing asking a question? He knows the answer before he asks the question. But yet he's always asking questions. If Jesus, who knows everything, is always asking questions, how about you and me that know barely nothing? Why don't we ask more questions? We're always speaking and not asking questions. Jesus knows everything. He's always asking questions. Maybe we should adopt the stance and ask more questions. You can only learn something when you're quiet and you're listening to something. You already know what you know, so when you're talking, you can't be learning anything. Ask questions and listen. And you'll be amazed that the situation may not be exactly as you thought it was. The person's assumptions may not be what you attributed them to be. Ask questions and listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. But that'd be a good thing, right? How about this one? Speak the gospel. What's the gospel? Let's say it like this. Grace and truth. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. Each of us have a, a temperament. Based on your temperament, you're kind of wired to either be hard or soft, right? Some of you are harder, some of you are softer. Naturally, you're one or the other. That would be your Myers Briggsness, all right? So some of you are hard in the Myers, but you're truth tellers, right? I mean, you're really suckers is what you are, right? I mean, it, give me the facts, nothing but the facts. I mean, you're just kind of to the point. Others of you never get to the point because you're pleasers, right? And you want to say, but you only want to say things that people want to hear. Here's the thing. We are only as mature as the weaker side of that balance. Whatever you do naturally, that's how you're wired. Whatever you're not naturally doing, that's what comes supernaturally. That's where your spiritual maturity is measured. We are only as mature as the weaker of those sides, not the stronger of those sides. That changes things, doesn't it? So are you naturally soft and pleasing? Paul would say, you need to speak the truth. Are you naturally a truth teller to beat people with the truth? Paul would say, you need to do it in love, right? Speak the gospel. It's truth and grace married together, exactly how Jesus speaks it and brings it to us. Speak the gospel. I kept thinking of a verse from Luke's gospel as I was thinking about the chapter. It goes like this. For the mouth speaks what the heart's full of. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> Which means we can listen to what someone says, and even though you can't see it directly, you can know what they're dwelling on in their heart. Or let's go back to the language that we've used in looking at the pictures. The regimen would be the words we speak. Your heart is where you choose your authority. So we can listen to what we say and know what authority we've adopted. And once you adopt an authority, the words will follow. And the words that follow from the authority bring about a result, and you can't change that. So be careful about the authority you choose. Be careful of the values you hold in your heart. Be careful of what you promote to the center as your authority. 
Because every authority will bring a regimen, and every regimen brings a set of results. So choose the results you want. Look at the regimen, but choose carefully your authority. What I raise is one question then, and that's this. How should we choose an authority then? I know of only one authority who gave his life for me. I know of only one commanding officer that said, I, I'll take the bullet you deserve instead of you taking it. I know of only one master who says, I'll cover all your debt now and forever. You come follow me on the basis of what he's done. Do the wise thing. Adopt Jesus as your authority. He gives us a regimen to follow, not to earn something, but because of who he is. He's already given it to us. And recognize when you adopt Jesus as the commanding officer and the authority, a regimen comes from that. Live out the regimen. Continue what he started. And the results are guaranteed. You follow Jesus, and you'll hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you don't leave us in the dark to figure this stuff out. You make it plain. You give us the priorities and you say, run well, pass the baton. You give us pictures because we're more image-based creatures than word-based creatures. Look at the soldiers. Look at the athletes. Look at the farmers. But recognize behind every regiment stands an authority. Choose your authority carefully. Live out the regimen the authority gives and experience the results that always follow. Thanks, Jesus, for offering to be our commanding officer and for taking care of what we couldn't take care of ourselves. Help us to choose wisely. 